Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, Returning to the Heart of Jesus. I'm your host, Bill Wegner, and uh, it's a great blessing for me to be here with you. And as we do uh, for each and every podcast, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created in you shall renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello once again. We have, uh, I'm very excited. We have a very special guest with us. Uh, we have Father Neil Pfeiffer, who's uh, a pastor in Napoleon, North Dakota, uh, at St. Philip Neary Parish. I did a parish mission with him uh, during the Lenten season, and uh, he's just a great guy and a, a wonderful priest, and I thought we would uh, spend a, a little time with him um, reviewing uh, some of the things that I learned from him and so on and so forth. So, Father, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. That's, it's, it's, and it's great to have you, that's for sure. And I thought we would, uh, I thought we'd start in a, a little bit different way, Father. I have to tell you that there's two things, there's two things that are totally forbidden uh, while you're our guest on this podcast. Uh, the first one is that um, you cannot mention uh, our, our, our ages and our difference in ages, okay? That uh, I'm really so much younger than you. And it's obvious that, uh, this is a joke, Father, you know? It kind of shows by your gray hair. My, my hair's not gray, is it? I never can see it up there. And, and the second one, we can't talk about our age difference because you're like a, you're like a baby, you know, in, in priest years, that's for sure. And, uh, and we can't talk about the fact that uh, we have uh, accents or let me put it to you this way. You have an accent. Okay. Um, I don't Is it from New Jersey? <laughs> okay. See, that's how you started when we were there at the, at the parish mission. All right. So those two things are, are forbidden. So we're good to go. So here's what I thought we would do, Father. I thought you would tell the folks a little bit about your background, maybe a little bit about your journey to priesthood and uh, share with us those, uh, those steps that you, you took in, uh, along with the Holy Spirit. All right. Sure. I think it's important for us to begin with, uh, all vocation stories have a beginning, they have an end, and um, it's interesting how God um, uses different days and different strategies to get our attention to call us to himself. And um, as I left home from high school, one of the things I always wanted to be was an optometrist, an eye doctor. And um, as an eye doctor, I went to the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota, and started to pursue my undergrad in biology because to get into optometry school, you need an undergrad in some of the sciences. So um, I went to the first year at UMary, and of course, after the first year, the academic dean called me into the office, and they said, you're here for biology. What are you going to do with that? And it's like, well, I'm going to be an optometrist. Really? I don't want to talk you out of your degree, but okay, here comes red flag number one. What is the but? All the optometry schools for the masters are on the coast, and uh, the farm kid that I was, I didn't want to leave the Midwest. Okay. And the second thing was, was not all 4.0 um, science majors get accepted into all the optometry schools. 
So obviously, um, a couple of red flags, and I took a semester to think about, or have the summer to think about what I was going to do, and I decided I was going to try a semester of accounting, and I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So um, I went back to the farm and started working on the farm. Well, we had a 2,500-acre farm up in north central North Dakota, and um, started working with my dad and my brother, and um, went back to my old high school job and worked my way up into management in retail in a grocery business. And um, as I worked my way up, I started to use my vacation for planting and for harvest. And um, um, it was a good thing. And what I would do is I go to work 20 hours a week and take 20 hours of vacation during spring planting and during the harvest in August and September. And after a while, everybody else wanted the pattern and the boss came to me and he says, well, everybody else wants this. And it's like, well, um, if it's your choice. I mean, I'm willing to work for you, but we have to work this out. And he says, well, I really can't do it. And I said, well, then I'll put in my two-week notice. And um, I stayed on the farm and I farmed about 10 years. So I'd been out of school for 10 years. And um, um, I also so, got involved in youth let me, ministry. Let me, go back. let me go back for one second. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so everybody else who, who was working in the grocery business wanted to do what you were doing, work Correct. 20 hours and then... Going 20 hours of vacation a week, then over two weeks is one week of vacation. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And obviously, um, I got involved in youth ministry, and I was also a bus driver. And um, um, the more the more I got involved with youth ministry, the more I was attracted to the Lord. And um, I believed I was called to the priesthood, but I never knew for certain. And one Sunday, I heard a homily by a great priest. Um, was a great mentor to me. And he says, um, if you get to heaven and you don't do what God is asking you to do in his homily, how are you going to present the case at heaven's door? And that one pierced me to the heart because it's like, now I got to try the seminary. And, um, and I decided it's like, Lord, okay, I'm going to try the seminary, but I'm going to circle a date six weeks into the seminary. And I'm going to leave in the middle of the night to tell you that I tried. Obviously, I applied. I got accepted. I went through all the acceptance procedures. And that day came six weeks later. I never questioned it because I was, there was a lot of peace in my heart. And where, and, was, this, um, where was this seminary that you're going to? It was at Cardinal Men's Seminary here in the Diocese of Fargo in Fargo, North Dakota. And I got my undergrad. I finished my undergrad degree. And um, then I transferred out to the East Coast where everybody thought I had an accent. I don't know why. Really? Uh, to Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And um I got my master's in theology and came back and got ordained and the rest is history. Did they, did they torture you at Mount St. Mary's? Ah, they didn't torture me. It's a different lifestyle out there than it is in the Midwest. And um, <laughs> obviously you already know that having come out here and there's slight differences Yes. yes. amongst the people, people out here are much more friendly, um, <laughs> much more caring, much more compassionate than out there, but there's also pros out there as well. So there's pros and cons, we're, no we're matter where you more, go. We're much more intelligent on the East Coast. Obviously, we're better looking on the East Coast, right? You know. Sure, you know, I won't else. argue that, <laughs> especially with the gray and the white hair. <laughs> so, how long have you been ordained, Father? It'll be ten years uh, on July first this year. Okay, and then, uh, and you've been at Saint uh, Philip Neri for how long? Um, I came here in 2016, so um, going it'll be five years this summer. Yeah, yeah. Now, is this your first uh, pastorate? Yes, it is. Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. And, yeah. and 
I really, and I know, I know the same holds for you as the spiritual leader and the pastor, but I really enjoyed being there with those, with the folks, most of them. Oh, they enjoyed having you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a good time. We really did. Yeah. Great, great, great people. Great people. Um, well, <clears throat> like you said, you've been there for uh, five years or so. And uh, you know what I noticed? I noticed, and you and I spoke a little bit about it, is that your, your rectory, uh, it's, it's a very nice place, and, and, but it's, uh, you use it for something besides a rectory. And uh, I think maybe the, the people would be real interested in, in what you do there with that rectory. Um, I use my rectory as a retreat house. So when the rectory was built back in the day, some 50 years ago, um, there were two priests that were out here, but obviously with a, a shortage of vocations, um, we're only down to one and it's my only parish and two, 280 families here. And um, um, in the retreat house, when they, when they built the rectory, they, there was two priests. So they built a bedroom for each of themselves and one for their guests, one for the bishop and one for the house cleaning lady. So obviously I'm living in a bed in a rectory with six bedrooms and three and a half bathrooms. And um, what we did is we turned it into a retreat house and there's um, retreats that are held there on a regular basis. Um, three day silent retreats are the most, um, I've did five day silent retreats here um, for people that come and spend time and they can go outside, they can journey, they can come, they can pray, they can go to the adoration chapel, they can go into the main church, they can go there to pray and, um, it's our idea is to encounter the Lord and the world is a busy place and coming away in silence is a good thing. Where do, you, where, do the people, where do the people come from, Father? They're not just from your parish. Right? Um, the people have come from all over the state, actually, um, different retreats. Um, I did a deacon canonical retreat before they got ordained as deacons last time, as I did that for the diocese. And I did um, people have come from North Central and Northeastern North Dakota, from Fargo, from Bismarck. Um, from all directions, but most of them I, I try to do for parishioners uh, to help the parishioners to grow in holiness. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic. What a, and you you uh, are the retreat leader most most yeah. of the time. Okay. Yes, I'm always a retreat leader when the retreats are housed here. Yes. Sure. And I do a retreat um, um, based on. Uh, Relationship with God is the most important thing, and I, I, I find in society that's probably one of the weakest links. Um, relationships aren't strong. We don't start to trust, and when we don't trust, we fall out of love, and when we fall out of love, um, we're in a cycle away from God, and that's why coming on retreat relationship is important because even for our Lord, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, I know that uh, the end of Matthew chapter 3, our Lord heard he was the beloved son of God. He heard that at... Um, he heard that at the baptism and in right in chapter four, the first thing that um, that gets used against him is the fact that um, his identity is being attacked. And as his identity is being attacked, um, obviously he's able to withstand it because his relationship with the father is strong enough. And obviously as he starts his ministry and his mission, um, he's able to do that. And I think many people in the world today live mission first. They claim themselves off of what they do. Maybe they're a farmer, they're a rancher, rather than off their relationship as a beloved son and daughter of God. Yeah. I, so I spend a lot of time on relationship building, um, helping them to come to know and taste the Lord's personal love for them in a very intimate level. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's great because, uh, you know, me traveling around and, and doing the missions like I do, that's 
that's a number one. I mean, that's number one. When you say, who are you? You know, what do you do? You know, what are you about? It's right. I am a, right. pharma. I am a pharmacist. I am this, I am that. You know, no one says I'm a, I'm a son and daughter uh, of the most high God. And we need to t- continually teach them that. That's for, that's for sure. That's, and if you think about, if you think about it, when you live in a mission first world, when you work on your relationship and I'll ask couples, how much time every month do you spend on working on your marriage? Your marriage doesn't get better just by showing up. You have to work at things to be able to grow stronger in those bonds. And that's why I focus the amount of time I do on relationship because we have a bad view of God as God, his father, as God, the son, or as God, the Holy spirit. Um, Obviously it affects the way that we look at God. And that's where a healthy relationship needs to develop and start. Obviously uh, I'm sure the Bishop knows exactly what you're doing with these. Exactly. Do they do you ever go to other places and do them? I've actually led retreats at other places. I've did parish missions at other places, much like yourself. Um, I've led retreats for, um, yeah, and it's not something. Um, I got my training um, thanks to the bishop for spiritual direction. He sent me to a class um, for three years at Mundelein Seminary in Chicago after I got ordained. And um, um, for the purpose of spiritual direction, to help others to find God and their calling in life. No, I think that's just great. That's just, that's, that's great. Um, so now, uh, it, this might seem a little lighthearted, but I, I want you to, uh, if you can, I want you to tell everybody about your beard. My it's beard is fascinating to you, isn't it? It's still there. It's I trimmed it up a little since you saw me. And I have to tell you, I haven't seen you since, you know, the middle of length, and I thought your beard would be gone by now. Well, I, I trimmed it up, as you can see. Yes. Um, during Lent this year, I did what I call a Nazarite vow. Um, Elijah, John the Baptist in the Old Testament always did that as a time period set aside for God. Um, and one of the things I struggled in past Lent is being faithful to the five and six things I do every year. And this was going to be an external way to help parishioners to hold me um, to push through with the Lent. And it, my Lent this year was very fruitful because... Um, there's many times I want to take the razor out and trim it off, but, um, it's like, no, it's for the Lord it's for the purpose. And we're called to be more like Jesus every day. And, you know, Jesus had his own beard and, um, obviously doing it for the Lord, but more importantly to push through to, you know, all of us start Lent on Ash Wednesday at the startup line, but I don't believe all Catholics and Christians throughout the world finish at the finish line. You know, they might get going good for a week or two and, um, yeah, Take me. the rest of the time off. That's you. Yeah, that's me. And that's why it's always important that we set goals that are realistic and goals that we can make Easter with to help us to become better people. And and do the do the I, I know a couple people did, but do a lot of people in the parish comment on your beard on a regular basis? So you still have it. They do. They do, especially because I've they've never seen they've always seen me with a goatee, but never with a beard. And uh, um, the common response at the beginning of Lent was, "Did the razor quit?" Well, no, the razor didn't quit. I'm doing it. And then obviously I started implementing it in the homilies as an encouragement. We need to keep going, even though I'd like to quit right now. Uh, Jesus didn't give up on us, so we can't give up on him. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, I was sitting with a couple people at your parish and I said, I love that father was growing the, the beard like he did. And they, they said, yeah. I said, I, I've been growing mine for seven months and it's really scruffy now. You know, I had no beard. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're looking at me like, 
Oh, look at this poor guy. He can't get he can't get but three whiskers somewhere on it. On his that shows your youthfulness. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's let's go with that. That's good. We'll go with that. Uh, and the last the last thing I'm going to ask you, Father. Uh, I know that you're busy, and I know that your day is full. Um, I want to, you know, you're you're from your your parish is so kind of opposite of my parish. Uh, we have 3,500 families. We used to have, we used to have uh, over 5,000 families, and you know we have a convent with nuns in it and habits in habits, and then we have, uh, you know, we have uh, three priests that celebrate the sacraments and so on and so forth. And uh, but you're in a small kind of country parish, for sure, in in comparison, and so you have a different view, even though it's the same. It's different view. Um, so, what do you see? What do you see going forward? What do you see the the Where do you see the church being in five or ten years? Or what do you see the problems? And you know, what what's your perspective on all of that? Well, one of the things I'm glad you asked this question because I think it's something we need to reflect on often. And um, um, I was listening to a talk yesterday from Chris Stefanik, who's a popular speaker in the Catholic world. Um, most people have heard of his name and. Um, Chris Stefanik had mentioned that right now there are more people who identify themselves as nuns than as Catholics living in America. That's a problem. It's a major problem. And um, why? Because that means these people are not going to be baptized. Their children are not going to be baptized. Their great-grandchildren are not going to be baptized. And if there's no faith handed on, we're going to keep getting um, struck by an atheistic uh, worldview which I think has hit us very hard, um, and especially in the last 20 to 30 years. And when you have a secular view of who God is, um, we start to develop a subjective truth. This is what I believe truth to be. And we saw last week that Pontius Pilate got in trouble with that type of the truth. Because he even asked a question on Good Friday. He asked the Lord, what is truth? He didn't even look at God as a source of truth because he didn't even know what truth was. And I say, and we don't have truth, we're going to crumble. And that's why in five to 10 years, I believe we're going to have a devout group that's going to rise up. They're going to be persecuted for what they believe. And there's going to be a lot of um, political things that are used against them. You know, even in the recent months, the transgender and the gay, the gay pride. And I mean, there's all these things that come up that attack us. But the people that stay true through it all are going to wear the crown as our Lord did at Calvary. And that's what I'm going to say. I think there's going to be a group that's going to push through, a group that's going to be faithful, because objective truth is what God's truth is. We have to look at things the way God sees them. And that's what we got to continue. We have to try to live the faith, even in a world that seems um, like it's falling apart around us. We have, to, um, we have to press through and we have to be able to be able to bring the good news to others. You know, that's what I love about the Easter readings this week. Jesus only appears to those who are faithful to those who are disciples. Notice he doesn't go to Jews or to pagans. He goes to believers. And that's why, again, going back on my retreat, our relationship is essential to withstand anything because if we have the love and the truth and everything that God wants to offer us, I don't think we can be shaken. Our Lord wasn't shaken in his mission. And that's why we have to know who we are in our identity, that we are beloved sons and daughters. You know, somebody asked me a while back, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? And I said, neither. 
They said, they looked at me and it's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm not right and I'm not left. I'm straight up. I'm a Christian. And that's why we have to live the Christian morals and values in the world we live today. Because the next generation deserves it as our grandparents and parents did for us. We need to pass that on to the next generation. And what I'm seeing as a problem today is a lot of these people are not sacramentalized. They're not baptized. So they're going to get married someday. Well, then how are they going to raise a family with any God values? And that's where we have to be on the front lines and not be afraid to live the faith outside the church walls. Our faith has to be lived in a community. And I think the better that we can do with that aspect as disciples of the Lord, the more that other people will recognize that. And I made a comment a while back in a homily, and I know somebody come and talked to me about it, and they said it's very profound. I said, the way you spend your time and you spend your money, is it any different than your next-door neighbor who doesn't believe in God? And I think if we have a relationship with God, the way we spend our time and our money should look different than our next-door neighbor. Not to compare us, not to make us be better, but because we're living for God. And you know, I find that because I've, I've contemplated what you said, that Jesus came back and he appeared to believers, you know, only. And then, but then he said to them, now go make disciples of the entire world. Exactly. And it started with 12. And the more the faith gets persecuted, I think the more chicken people get in living it. Yes. And I think it's got to be the complete opposite. The more we get persecuted, the stronger we got to rise up because in the history of the church for 2000 years, Every time the church was persecuted, it come back stronger. Yes. That's and that's sure. what we have to continue to live. Well, thank you, Father. Thank you. This was uh, very good, very interesting. It's good to see you again, even though you're uh, on the screen. And uh, nice beard. Yeah, did I mention that I like your beard? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to do me a, a big favor. Two of them. Uh, one is... Uh, Pray for me, pray for my family and our ministry and as I've been praying for you and your parish. And uh, maybe now, Father, you can give us a blessing as we wrap this sure. up. Sure. Heavenly Father, we have received so many gifts from your hands. The most precious is the gift of life. Help us to be people who live and witness and defend life from the bone of conception until natural death. And help us never to be afraid or ashamed to live for you this day. Lord, we just ask, we thank you for the blessings you have given us already today, and we thank you in advance for the blessings that you will give us before this day is over. And Lord, we know that some people will not make it to the end of this day. At the end of our life, we ask that you will grant us lasting peace and happiness in your kingdom, where you wish to bring your family of believers together, and where you will be Lord of all. We ask your blessing upon all who are listening in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father. God bless you. Uh, you we'll, too. We'll be in touch. All right. All right. Have a great day. You too.